Hi, I'm Jake Parker with the What's Your Story podcast. Here I talk with my guests about their life experiences as well as current and long-term goals and what gets them through the ups and downs. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, and if you don't already, follow my Instagram account at jparkerfitlife for actionable tips daily to live a healthier lifestyle and for access to my YouTube and blog. Enjoy the show. Hi guys, this is Jake Parker with the What's Your Story podcast. I have Danny on today. Uh, his Instagram page is Physiotrician. That's how I initially found out about Danny. Uh, he's also one of the guys that works on the Instagram page, Top Gym Tips. So that was my introduction. Danny has some fitness background, does some personal training, but the reason that he interests me and the reason that we want to talk today is he deals a lot in human psychology, behavioral economics, self-improvement, things of that nature. So we wanted to talk a little bit about that because that's something that we both have in common. And we feel like, oh, we both feel like the, the, the fitness space is a little bit saturated at times. And that uh, I was just talking to him a little bit ago, how it's really cool that people in the fitness realms tend to branch off into self-improvement and psychology and things of that nature. So that was our goal to talk a little bit about that today. Yeah, so Jake, I want to say thank you for having me on. Let me introduce myself as Jake Sandani. I'm a 21-year-old. I'm from Dublin, Ireland, where the weather isn't so great at the moment, but we make do with it. So essentially, I'm at the moment, I guess we'd call me a digital nomad. I'm traveling the world, making my living from my laptop. I started off with the Instagram account there, Physiotrician. I think it was April 2017. So just over two years ago now, my initial goal with that was to essentially help with my studies of physiotherapy, which I've just dropped out from at the moment. And that was a way of self-improvement for me. And that was my main goal at the time. Then from there, things started to take off after a long battle with posting and essentially gaining followers slowly over time. But then we hit a peak, things started to take off. And then in, I think, December of 2017, I started Top Gym Tips, which Jake also mentioned. And that, you know, really took off. I think right now we're over 420,000 followers. But essentially now, as Jake touched on, I'm trying to move away from fitness. I am a personal trainer. I have I've been a personal trainer for just under a year now and it is something I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about health and fitness of others and but I think that all boils down to my passion for helping empower people and helping instill within people some form of self-awareness and self-improvement and for me health and fitness as Jake touched on is a nice way to get into that but I think ultimately the best way to get into that is just to attack the actual self-awareness and self-improvement by getting people to ask more questions about themselves, getting people to talk to themselves and just delving into as Jake said the psychology behind all of those things. Yeah. And so my first question, first of all, I think this will be interesting because I just want everybody to know that Danny and I sort of, we talked about possibly having some questions, but we thought it'd be cool to just kind of let the conversation go sort of organically. And so, um, like I said, we both have a, a lot of mutual interest in behavioral psychology and things of that nature. So the first question that sort of pops up to me, uh, just something that it feels like I run into a lot, especially dealing with people uh, in our age group that are younger is why do you think that it's, there's kind of an aversion of people to be into self-improvement and it almost feels like if you're talking about people in their, in their younger twenties, you seem like kind of an outsider. If you're delving into self-improvement and trying to better yourself. Mm. I think there's, there's pushback on the other side to that, that people tell us we're good enough. I, I agree with that point, but I think it's dichotomy. I think you can be good enough, but still want more for yourself. I think that's something people don't talk about a lot. I think I'm content with who I am, but I want to be the best version of myself. And I feel like that's something that isn't touched on a lot in society. We're just told, you know, we're okay as we are. But a lot of times people aren't okay with who they are. They can't love themselves 100%. So then they try and, I guess, look at us to say, you're telling me I'm, I guess we're just pointing out of, like with them uh, incongruence where they maybe aren't 100% happy with themselves. And then we're telling them maybe, you know, a bit of self reflection about self-awareness could help and you're they're taking that as like offense and saying hey you're telling me that i'm not you know good enough mm -hmm. like no so then that's why i think on the outside we have that stigma that oh people who are into self-awareness they're like <laughs> they're hippies i've heard it all it's like they're crazy people they don't know what they're talking about and all this stuff yeah it feels like it's kind of one of those things where people also see it as like being self-absorbed or being selfish and it sort of is in a way but I feel like it's selfish. I mean, I think that as humans, we're sort of selfish by nature and that you kind of have to feed that a little bit. And it's just partly the fact that by being selfish in that way, you're making yourself better so that, like you said, you can help other people more effectively by focusing yeah. inward on yourself first. 
And that's what I really focus on. I think before you get be selfless, you have to be selfish. And I think selfishness is the ultimate form of selflessness. And that's a dichotomy that people don't understand. I think if you focus solely on yourself, you're giving the world the best version of you. So if your goal is to ultimately help others, it's to help yourself first. I think that's a problem in society, particularly with people our age these days. It's let's go out and make an impact on the world. Hold on, if you don't have yourself in order, how can you go about making the world a better place? I think what it is a lot of time is people try and, I think they, they don't think they can control themselves. So they try and, you know, put it out there to the world where I guess the stakes aren't as high because they know it's a lot harder to make change on the world than it is themselves. So we see it a lot in politics these days where you have a lot of people trying to, I guess, change the world, but they really don't look at themselves first. And that's the one thing you have tangible control over. It's yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. It what kind of jumps to mind for me is like self-love is so popular which I think is totally a good thing. But I think kind of like you said, it's sometimes self-love and the fact that you're good enough, you don't need to improve. But I think that the way to look at it is like self-love is self-improvement and self-discipline. Because if you love yourself, you realize that, you know, you never really really will reach your full potential without, um, you know, effort and constant improvement and self-awareness and reassessment. I think that's really truly what self-love is, is at its core. It's, it's, not, it's not like massages and, you know, pampering and stuff like that. Mm, you yeah, know, like eating junk food because, you know, it's, it's, it's about I owe it to myself. Uh-huh. Like, no, that's, that's not what self-love is. And I think if that's how you look at self-love, it's like you're looking at a warped version of it. I think self-love is wanting the best version of yourself, wanting to constantly improve and be better. But also at the same time, as I said, be content with who you are. Like if everything fell apart, you'd still be happy with who you are, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I know that something that I think is interesting is you talked about Joe Rogan a little bit and the more I listen to him, he's always really harping on the fact that, you know, he's successful. And like, if he really wanted to, he could kind of just be stagnant and not really do anything. Like mm-hmm. he has the money, he has the resources, like he kind of has it all. But he talks about how it's just part of our human nature to always wanting to be doing something and wanting to be taking action. And I think that, you know, people see success and sort of in the same light pleasure as like, you know, if I if I'm successful, then you be able to just relax and do nothing. But I think that just part of our human nature and part of when you look at successful people, especially in the entrepreneurial type fields, it's like they, they never stop trying to improve and, and push forward. Like the most successful people that you see in the world, they didn't just reach a certain point and then just coast. That person genuinely just wants to keep accruing so that they can give back, I think. I think nobody nobody at the top doesn't give back. I think by them getting to the top shows that they've already given so much to society because they wouldn't get there otherwise. I think you look at any successful billionaire, it's like, hold on, how much have they given to the world to get to where they are? Mm-hmm. And I think they deserve that recognition. I really do. Like if you look at anybody, like the amount that they've given, let's just, let's just look outside the philanthropy of giving to charity and stuff, how many jobs they've created, how many, how many more opportunities they've given to people. And they don't have to do that, but I feel like they, we all know it's their obligation to do that and they probably do feel obliged to do it. But I think the ultra successful people are seen as greedy, whereas mm-hmm. I just see them as the people who have actually influenced the most amount of change in the world. Mm-hmm. It seems like they really realize the fact that I mean, the more you do and the more you give back, I think the more comes back to you. I definitely firmly believe that on on a micro sense or a macro sense, if you're talking about Bill Gates, all the billions of dollars he's given to charity, or if you want to talk about a micro sense, like I feel personally in my life, like when I'm nicer to people, even in just the fact of like saying hi to people, opening doors, just being kind, I feel like more positive things happen to me. I've I've become a lot more centered around that recently. No, I'm a big believer in that. I think you get exactly back what you put into the world. And if you give the world out, you give love, positivity, optimism, all that stuff, you get that back. I think there are too many people who are critical. There are too many people who want to be, I guess, look at things from a pessimistic standpoint. And that's all they get back. And that's a negative feedback loop. That's a vicious cycle that's hard to get out of. Mm-hmm. And I was in there, but like, that was me. I was in there for the longest time. I was, I guess, when I was 16 through 19, I looked at the world. I was like, you know, like, I didn't look at myself first. I looked outside of myself. And that's one thing I always harp on about. It's like, if you're looking for the answers to the biggest questions, never look outside of yourself. Look within yourself first because that's where you have the most, I guess, control over. And I was trying to fix things outside of me that I actually had no control over. And that's where, when I guess I turned 18, 19, I ran into stoicism. And stoicism is the philosophy of 
gaining control, essentially gaining control of your emotions. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot more intricacies to it than that. But for me, it was just laying out in my mind clearly what is in my control and what is outside of my control. And the mental clarity that gave me to realize, okay, this is outside of my control. I don't have any control over it. So why am I letting all of these emotions that are pertained to that control me? Because I can't affect it in any way, shape or possible. The weather, for example, like something so simple, something people get so angry about all the time. It starts raining. I'm like, okay, those simple step. Can you control it? Mm-hmm. No. okay so it's a stark reality that the weather is going to be like this you genuinely do just have two options for me it is black and white and i see it easier i it's easier for me to act it that way the weather is bad that's given you have two options let that affect your day or say it is what it is okay how am i going to mitigate my suffering in this situation and then i always pick choose that path because either way you're going to feel pain but this is the path of least resistance in my eyes so i always go that way yeah you know what I mean? yeah that's funny that you say that because i remember one of the biggest changes like when I really started delving into self-improvement and one of the big things for me was do, trying to do meditation every day and gratitude training. And it's funny. Cause like one of the first sort of, I guess, like, I don't know, just big changes I noticed and big shifts is like, I literally wouldn't get as mad in traffic, which sounds so like such a small thing, but it literally oh, hit yeah. me one day. I was like, people, you know, I would always get mad in traffic. It's just always kind of always, you know, just one of those frustrations of human mm-hmm. being and, I remember one day it's like, I'm so much more calm because it's like you said, when you focus on gratitude and focus on centering around yourself, the less you let outside forces kind of factor into your life. And that's another thing that's interesting about, I I try to do the five minute journal. And I remember when you, when you first read it and then kind of get to read a little bit about gratitude, they're very adamant about when you write down three things you're thankful for, or when you write down, well, more so when you write down three things that you can do to positively impact your life or you know that i think it says three things that would make today great they're very big on don't make it something that's outside of your control you know mm-hmm. like you can't say one thing that would make today great it's it's beautiful and sunny and nice outside well yeah that would make today great but it's not something that's inside of your control so if the weather turns to shit you know you're gonna be mad and it's nothing that was inside of your control yeah and i like i love breaking it down to the simplest thing to touch on a poster mm-hmm. today it's like i can't guarantee your next breath mm-hmm. be grateful for when that comes because i can't guarantee you that nobody can guarantee you that and that's the simplest form of gratitude right there it's like okay you're breathing now i know for some people that goes way over their head but when you break it down it's like if you cannot be grateful 100 percent great like your full gratitude focused in on that moment how can you expect to add any more gratitude on top of that it's like it's the sort of thing of like you if you give a poor person who already has financial mismanagement issues more money it doesn't help you always hear these stories of the the broke person who wins the lotto and oh yeah it's It's not because they're exactly it's not because they're they're idiotic or stupid that's not the case at all they just don't know how to manage their money that's all it is Mm. so when you give them more money it's not going to help the problem it's going to make the problem worse and i see the same thing with gratitude how can you be grateful for something so big like you know maybe it's maybe it's winning the lotto maybe it's getting the girl of your dreams or whatever it is you want on that given day to come true if you can't even be grateful for the birds the sky the really the stuff that you take for granted you know what i mean yeah it's funny i remember hearing another thing that i heard kind of early on in the self-improvement journey was just um i think it was actually michael matthews he's a muscle for life guy he's kind of into the psychology in, 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 a, in a smaller sense but i remember him saying you know happiness comes from within and not one outside force is ever going to affect that you know be it money finding a partner a relationship you know getting a new job getting a new possession or something of that sort and it was funny because i was still in such a different mindset i was like no way he's no like he's full of shit come on like if i got my dream i got my dream girl like i'd be so happy and then it and then it was finally like that shift in mindset it's like well, it kind of starts from within, like, I'm not going to get my dream job. I'm not going to get my dream girl unless I am happy with myself first. It's kind Definitely. of a, it's kind of a paradox in that way. Yeah. And another one you touched on there is money. Mm-hmm. Like um, people talk about money and happiness. The way I look at money is the same way I look at supplements. If you have a hierarchical pyramid, where do you put supplements? You put them right at the top, the smallest little percentage. They don't even make it part of the equation. They're like two to 5% will give an arbitrary mm-hmm. figure. So if you have all the money in the world and you say the other 98% is everything, it's your family, it's your gratitude, it's your self-improvement, your self-awareness, 
It's all of the things you value in your life. If you don't have that 98 or whatever percentage it is intact, I think 2% won't make a difference. Mm. If, you have, if you have that at 40% capacity, let's say, and you had 2% of that, it's not going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. People don't realize that. People don't realize that, you know, all these things, like money's the biggest one. It's like, it's not going to make you happy unless you find contentedness within first. Uh, money won't fill a void that you can't already fill from within. You know what I mean? I think people with money, for example, they try and externalize the joy of money. And I think if you can externalize anything, like so happiness would come from money, people think. If you can, ex- if you can internalize that first, you shouldn't seek it outside of yourself. So money and happiness is something that people see a correlation between. But if happiness is something you can get without money, then the money won't actually make you happy is the way I look at it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm thinking of this quote. I want to say it's by John Rockefeller. He said, um, someone asked him how much was enough when they were talking about um, business and, and money. And he, he just said, just a little bit more. And that's what it is with money because there's no, there's no like limit to it, technically. I mean, you could amass the most wealth in the world and keep growing it. Like there's there's no cap on money. And so that's why I think it's it's such a, toxic thing to try to chase especially if you're looking at it and saying oh like when i have a hundred thousand dollars i'll be so happy and or when i have a million dollars i'll be so happier when i can buy a house or a car or whatever but Mm -hmm. i think that the the thing that you hear over and over again from people that sort of live by those sort of principles is that be careful because that's not what's going to make you happy yeah and it's also they're admitting to themselves that they're not happy at the moment Mm -hmm. and that's the biggest issue i'd focus on that first true you know, it's a, you're admitting to yourself you're not happy and you're admitting to yourself that your happiness is going to be found from something outside of yourself. And mm-hmm. that's, as I say, if you have a question that is difficult like that, do not seek the answers outside of yourself because you might find some transient temporary short-term thing, but it's not going to sustain you. It's not going to keep you happy in the long run. Mm-hmm. Saying why am I happy at the moment, right? Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So another thing you touched on is was talking about stoicism. I thought that was interesting. Um, I hadn't heard, I don't think I'd heard of stoicism until I read one of Ryan Holiday's books, uh, The Obstacle is the Way. And he also has like Ego is the Enemy. And I think he has another one too that yeah, they're yeah. all pretty interesting. But talk a little bit about that and maybe like an introduction to someone who maybe has never heard of stoicism. Yeah, so stoicism I first came across from, I think it was Timothy Ferris in 20, 2016, late 2016. So roughly three years ago, nearly three years ago now. And for me, I didn't have a clue what it was. I wasn't into philosophy. I saw quotes from guys like Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, and Seneca. These are the, I guess, three main Stoic philosophers. And I was like, hmm, these quotes make sense. And mm-hmm. philosophy is all about, like philosophy, the philosophical arguments are philosophical in nature. It's hard to disprove them because they're philosophical. So mm-hmm. they make sense. You know, there could be dichotomies and there could be things that contradict each other, but they don't make sense. And that's philosophy. So that, to me, I was like, hmm, this is so confusing. So the way I look at stoicism break down to the average person is, as I touched on before, it's find what's in your control and find what's outside of your control. Um, only take action and only loathe and only feel emotion for the things that you can have control over. Now, for most people, if you say, you know, I'm being stoic, they kind of think of you as being emotionless. The way I look at stoicism, it's controlled emotion and it's calculated risk of emotional investment. Mm-hmm. So for example, if I know I have complete control over something, then I'm going to put emotion into it. If I know that my success is completely in my control, I'm going to put passion, drive, and all of the determination, all of the characteristics that I need to succeed into that. However, if, for example, we had something like the weather, I cannot control that. I have no control over that. There is no point at all in me getting frustrated at the weather because it doesn't change the outcome. If I cannot change the outcome, if I do not have control of the outcome, then I shouldn't put anything into that, any input. It's not saying don't care about the weather full stop because obviously the weather's still a factor. Let's say you had a, uh, an event on outside and it got canceled. It's like, okay, well, I can't change that, you know, or I, can, I can't change the weather, but I can then come up with these contingency plans, which Jocko Willing talks about a lot. It's like his negative visualization. Mm-hmm. Essentially put yourself in these, I, I do this all the time with everything. Put yourself in the worst case scenario. You're there. Okay. Like list out the worst case scenario for you. Put yourself there. Most of the times, A, it won't be as bad as, you think it is mm-hmm. and B, B it's going to be quick it's there's actually isn't going to be that much discrepancy between the best and worst case scenario we always i guess um dramatize um dramatize everything in our heads mm-hmm. so the worst case scenario is it rains you have to cancel your event okay what do you do you reschedule it you get a different venue you know you there's ways around these things and 
for me, stoicism helped me change my outlook on my relationships, my friendships, mm-hmm. the simple things as you touched on that, that helped for like that always frustrated you, like the mm-hmm. traffic. Like I was, I'd be getting the bus to college, and the bus to college took like an hour and forty five minutes, and I was wasting my time listening to music. Not mm-hmm. saying music's a waste of time, but I'm like, hey, you know, I could listen to a podcast here, I could get some yeah. study done, I could read a Find book. New, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and that for me made a massive impact. And I urge anybody, I think the Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday is a great place to start. It gives you a daily meditation. I think there's 366, so one for the leap year as well. You got a daily medita- uh, little meditation from Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, and Seneca, I think. Uh, I don't know if anyone else makes an appearance in there. And he gives you a little interpretation of that at the bottom. It's like seven, eight books. It's a, book mm-hmm. to, it's a really nice place to start. Or just start with meditations by Marcus Aurelius. That's sort of his writings over the years i think you can get that for like two or three books online the pdf is available for free online you can go find it it's a really nice place to just get you thinking that's all it is it's getting you thinking it's like the the exercise of making you think what's in your control and outside your control you know at the start you'll find that you'll think things are in your control which aren't in your control by the way Mm -hmm. um which is something you, you will have to overcome so i mean for me a lot of things i thought were in my control were people's perceptions of me it isn't 100% like if it's not 100% in my control, it's out of my control. That's the way I look at it because I like having that black or white way of thinking. Like I, I, to a certain extent when you're linguistics and my body language can control your perception of me, but I can't innately force that within you. That comes from you. So that's in your control. So I had to sort of step back with my relationships and friendships and be, be like, I can't control this. Not to say I don't put emotion into it, but it's more of a calculated risk. I like mm. on earlier. So yeah. Yeah, I think that, I think stoicism is definitely what's helped shape my thinking the most out of yeah. anything I've done. The biggest thing about stoicism for me is just the fact that it's it's so big on harping on not getting caught up in the past and not getting like frustrated over negative things that happen because we're human. Like every single person is going to have struggles and stresses and bad things happen. But I think that the biggest challenge and the biggest thing that holds people back is holding on to that and being regretful and remorseful. Like no matter who you are, I think that you're going to feel that to some extent, but just trying to control it. You know, if something shitty happens in your life, a lot of people are going to have the instinct to just, you know, just be sad and depressed and think about it. And that's natural, but you got to fight against that and think, okay, so this happened. So what X thing can I do to move on from here to, you know, start a new path to fix this? Because at the end of the day, like overthinking it and being mad kind of feels good because it almost gives you a little bit of emotional release Mm -hmm. so i think it is useful like in a very micro sense but you got to move past that as as quick as Mm. as is possible for you yeah i think for me what i do is i if something traumatic happens or something where i feel like a lot of emotion would be invested down the line where i'd overthink and look back on it i just kind of have like in a sense an emotional outpouring straight away Mm -hmm. right like i think of everything that i could think about this situation i just Mm -hmm. get it all out there get it all out on the table this could be a day this could be a week i don't it's very arbitrary but that's what i do i try and get rid of the emotion as quick as possible so i can look forward to the future because you kind of seep that emotion out Mm -hmm. the amount of emotion that you're going to attach to it actually grows over time so it's like an exponential thing where the the problem will actually get bigger in your head over time for me time is a healer but at the same time if you don't attack the issue straight away and you kind of pick at it the issue gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you're you were picking at this you know tiny thing then you're looking at this cataclysm of this massive problem which wasn't even there in the first place because our brains do that to us our brains are our worst enemy and our best friend is the way i look at it yeah it's it's reminds me of kind of how you were talking about like the worst case scenario thinking of the worst case scenario as far as like we use the example of the weather canceling an event or something like that i think that one of the hardest things about human nature is also just the fact that your brain, like you said, blows things so big out of proportion. And it's so easy to focus on a problem or focus on a situation and just feel so overwhelmed. But Mm -hmm. I think that what you have to do is to look at the facts. Like you said, you know, what is the worst case scenario? You're you're truly going to be okay after that. And I think that this might start a whole new topic that I'm also pretty interested in. But it's so cool, I think, to look back at our biological and ancestral past to explain some of the things that give us distress and trouble because it's like, I think that our brains try to trick us into, I mean, partly our brains are still in contact with like life or death situations because that was part of our reality for so long. And so psychologically small things can almost start to seem like life or death. But if you really put it out on the table and say, these are the facts, this is the worst case scenario. This is, this is what I'm, I'm facing right now. It's like, okay, well, that's really not that bad. Like worst case scenario, 
I'm not going to be physically harmed even, let alone have to face life or death. And so it's just interesting how things play out in your mind, I think. Yeah, and I, I really like that from an evolutionary standpoint. Like our, our, we've only been complex psychological beings since, since civilization started. Maybe no more than like 20,000 years in terms of actually psychologically mm-hmm. complex. Before that, we were physi- physiologically complex and we still are. We're, bo- we're both now. But the amount of time we've had to adapt as physiologically complex beings compared to psychologically complex beings, there's a massive discrepancy there. Our bodies now deal with physiological stress and psychological stress the exact same way. Mm-hmm. And we have, there's no systems in place. Evolution doesn't happen that fast. There's no systems in place for our body to differentiate between the two. So your body's going to be constantly in this, I guess, sympathetic state where it doesn't really want to be. It's a, it's a stressful state for your body. Your body can't function properly there. You can't really think. You're constantly, I guess, dwelling on things. And you're going to have this negative feedback loop with your amygdala, which sort of, it's a part of your brain, which controls your fear response. And it's, it's really, really, I guess, difficult to get out of. So I think, as you said, looking at the facts of any situation is a nice way to go. But if you think about it this way, like our bodies only would have gotten to that fight or flight state in the past. If we felt, if we faced immediate fear, immediate mm-hmm. danger of a predator or something, but if you can get yourself into that state, which like is only there for survival, essentially, it is a survival state. Um, all the time it's not good for your health <coughs> chronic stress is a, is a is a leading factor in all cause mortality it's not good and the amount of people day to day through america through you know the western world all over the world what we see is actually like in countries that are i guess less developed they tend to have lower rates of chronic stress and all the symptoms related to that because I think for a fact, I genuinely think having less is more mm-hmm. in that regard. We have too many options. We have everything made for us. So mm-hmm. we don't ever really come into that physiological fear. But I think the big thing is you need to like know when you have the difference between physiological fear. Okay, I, my life is in danger here. Yeah. And psychological fear, which is, oh, something bad might happen to me that could affect someone's perception of me, the world's perception of me which at the end of the day may matter, but if your perception of yourself is intact and that's strong, honestly, the world, A, either the world will see that, or B, it doesn't matter because your perception of self is so strong, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's like we've talked about, like, fear in the sense of just, like, being fearful of public speaking or, like, others' judgments. Like, it seems so real, but if you really think about that and put that in a context, it's like, that's nothing compared to what, if you want to talk about what we faced in human history. And I think another interesting aspect of that is like, I, I fall a huge victim to this myself, but I try to put things in a context of like how good we have it now. Like people, people complain a lot. It's just kind of the nature of, you know, the way the world talks and people talk to each other, but people complain. And something I try to do to combat my own complaining and that of others is like, think about the world we live in now and think of, how much better that is than just 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. You know, if you talking about being grateful for the little things again, it's like, you know, think about what people would have thought in the 1800s of air conditioning and heating and Mm -hmm. things like clean water at all times and refrigerators, just like, it sounds, it sounds silly, but civilization has advanced so much. And I think that sometimes it helps just be thankful for that. Like, like for example, my dad, just one generation behind me, my dad moved over to Ireland from Italy when he was 14 because he couldn't, they couldn't, his family couldn't really afford him, his lifestyle, him like living with them, you know, and he moved over to Ireland by himself as a 14 year old and worked, you know, like he had a few connections, obviously, but I look at that and I was like, when I was 14, I was like, whoa, I was in school. I had everything I ever needed slash wanted. And I'm just like, that isn't that long ago. That's 40 years ago, you know? Uh, so people don't stop to think how quick our civilization is moving and oh, like be grateful for what you have. And I think, I think a lot of people will give you the backlash of, oh, well, times were different then, but we're still the same. We haven't evolved in any way. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I think I always put myself in that situation. Imagine like, I was like, I'm going through this, but this person is going through way more. And that's yeah. not to say your problems aren't problems. I think that's something people say um, when I sort of hit them with the, oh, but like, you know, it could be so much worse. I'm not trying to, I'm yeah, not like, trying are to you invalidating me. Well, no. Yeah, exactly. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to get you to think, okay, what do you have right now? Focus on what you have what, or not what you don't have, because mm-hmm. you can't, you can't control what you don't have. You can control what you have. Mm-hmm. You know, you have some, maybe some little bit of control over what you don't have, but if you only focus on what you have, it's just a better mind space to work. from. Yeah. One of the things that shifted my mindset in the biggest way, have you ever heard of the book, uh, a short history of nearly everything by Bill Bryson? I haven't. He- 
So it's basically, he kind of talks about like how the world was formed and like our galaxy and the universe. And the thing that struck me the most that I took away was he talks about, okay, right now the earth is about 4.5 billion years old. And I think about that and I'm like, oh my God, even like America is like a little bit more than 300 years old. Like that in the context of how old the world is just blows my mind. And it's like, we think that we have it all figured out and we're so significant, but it's just the world and time is just so much more vast than anyone really thinks about on a day-to-day basis at least yeah and that insignificance is what's driven me away from fear for a long time i was so fearful of everything public speaking like this is some form of public speaking this for Mm -hmm. me was an absolute terror this Mm -hmm. is something that would have kept me awake and i'm not messing when i say that you can like even you know dylan who i run top gym tips one was talking about me getting on a story going live i would crumble with fear it'd be that irrational fear that you can't even describe but I, I just saw myself as so significant i think that's what it really was i was like oh no like you know people might think this this not what i had to do was strip away my <laughs> completely strip back my perception itself self not that i'm not important but i don't take myself seriously anymore. i think that's some people do i'm like a sponge now you know and not that i'm not don't critically think by the way it's just that i i'm so open yeah to you know all the input i'm taking in so much information and then i think that's one problem people have they're very biased and they're very cognitively dissonant in the fact that they're set in their ways mm-hmm. i'm always open to new experiences always open to have my mind change always open to dialogue because i think we can learn from dialogue, dialogues like this and i i think it's our obligation almost to share conversations like this because people don't have them enough but for me it was just genuinely saying danny stop taking yourself so seriously man mm-hmm. like do you want this yes okay let's simplify it just go do it Mm. just go do it like let's let's stop thinking what people like caring about what people think of you because i touched on another post i think it was like last week or something that the vast majority of people don't care who you are they don't care Mm. about your message don't care about what you have to say but there is always going to be a small percentage of people it can be i think i gave the arbitrary example of 0.0001 percent it can be even smaller than that it can be a tenth of that but that's still going to accumulate or accrue to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And they genuinely do care what we have to say. They want to reciprocate with you. They want to talk. You can help them. They can help you. So it is, for me, my duty, my obligation to pass on that message to them in any way, shape, or form. Because I'm also a firm believer, and this might sound out there, of my messages, my thoughts, my speech, none of it's mine. I think there's an Irish band, Aslan, who are quite famous, who also touched on this, and they, they're, they're music. They're like, I just put out whatever's out there. Because it's not my music. It's coming from something outside. I mean, I'm just a vessel mm-hmm. to related information. And for me, I'm not saying that's true, by the way. But I'm saying if I believe that way, it will help me overcome the fear that I once had. And it's clearly working because I'm flowing so much more freely now. I have no problem talking to people uh, about this stuff. And I have no problem getting my message out there. So I'd say for people, don't focus on the majority. Because the majority aren't going to care about you. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. It's like a simple Pareto distribution. You focus in on that minority and they can govern the majority of your life. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite sayings is it's, it's a very old saying, but it's just like everyone, everyone you meet knows something you don't. And that's so true. It's like, you can learn something from anyone, whether it be like the CEO of like the biggest company or, you know, a, a, person from the street. Man, a homeless yeah. person. Yeah. You know, like, like anybody. And so, yeah, I think that's just, I think that's the most interesting part and in just being open to any new ideas and just the fact that life is just to such a high extent malleable and what you make it you know there's not there's not one specific way to live life you know yeah exactly i i see like i don't want want to really touch this but i see a lot in politics there's two sides of the spectrum essentially left wing right wing but both both perceptions can be seen as right like mm-hmm. as, as correct not as right like both perceptions there's sides about arguments which are like that's correct and that's correct yeah. you can but it depends on your perspective it's the simple right they care of cogito ergo sum i think therefore i am your perspective shapes your reality so if you have that perspective you're going to think that way i've put myself in both shoes and i've been on both sides of the equation it's whatever your perspective perspective is that shapes your reality so i think one thing for me is i've been trying to hold back my opinions on a lot of things i'll hold back but not attach as much emotion to them because my opinions I believe, and this is a weird one, I think my opinions are worthless because I look outside of, that's sub, to me, that's subjective truth. And I'm always seeking objective truth. So objective mm-hmm. truth is that which is outside of my opinion. So for if you tell me two plus two equals four, that's an objective fact. I can't argue with that, you know, or but then we have the two plus two equals five thing. I won't go there. Um, but, you know, that's, that's an objective fact. Whereas if you say, I think this, I think that hoodie is pretty nice. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's a subjective truth. I'm not going to fire back at you and say, I think that's the worst thing in the world because it's, I think. Mm-hmm. 
and I think a lot of people are like that. And I just said, I think there, but I, it's true. I think a lot of people hold so much bitterment and resentment towards things which just don't matter. Yeah. They're just of complete insignificance. Mm-hmm. I know that's why I love philosophy. It's probably why you are so interested in philosophy too, because it's like, there's not, there's no right and wrong. It's just like defending what you believe, but also at the same time being open to what other people believe, because like you say, it, when it when when it breaks down, there's really not that many things that we deal with in day to day life that are based on fact. I mean, there is, but there isn't. I guess. Mm-hmm. I think another thing is is a lot of people uh, nowadays. I don't think they understand that disagreeing with somebody and being somebody's friend are mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Like, are they independent of each other? Even like, like you can completely disagree with me on most a lot of things, a lot of mm-hmm. things, but for that matter, and we can still have a you know a good dialogue and still uh, be friends. Well, it's like no hard feelings. It's like, oh, you think that, I think that. We can both think these things. Our perspective is my reality. My reality is this. Your reality is that. We're both right. How about, why can we both be right? Why can we both be friends? You know yeah, I mean? exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so I want to talk a little bit more about something that's kind of been all-encompassing that also I talked to you about recently, and that's minimalism. And so how do you think, I guess, in a general sense, how does minimalism play out in today's culture, and why is that so beneficial, do you think, in your life? I think it stems down again to gratitude. It's strip away all of your wants so that they do not surpass your needs. So essentially you shouldn't want anything that you don't need. And then again, you define your needs. Well, how do you define your needs? Are they actual physiological needs that you will not survive without? Are they psychological things? Like you could argue that one could survive without shelter once the temperate was what the climate was warm enough, but that's a psychological need, I guess. And there are a few other things which fall into the category of, is it a need or is it a want? That's up to your own own interpretation of that. But what I would say is, you know, once you define what you need and you really focus on that, you actually need it. Mm -hmm. If there's anything else outside of that, don't, don't look, don't seek for it. Don't want it. Strip away as much as possible. It's this whole thing of, again, like looking for within. I look at my desk at home. It's like, it's a book. It's Mm -hmm. my laptop. It's my phone. Maybe. I don't even need those things, but for my business, I kind of do, if that makes sense. But I don't want anything more than that. I don't want to have all these pieces in the room and all that stuff. For me, it's like, that's mental clutter. I think like the way I look at it is, I think this is touched on the stoicism. It's like, nothing is free. Mm-hmm. You, you holding on to all those material possessions, they're still draining in some way from your mental capacity. You know, even if there's catch you at the corner, right, they're still giving you some input. So I think, stripping everything back to the sense of I just need this to survive and go about my daily routine is a good place to start. And that's how it's, I guess, panned out for me. So I like got rid of my wardrobe. Like I had so many clothes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Back in the day I was like, Oh, I got to have like um, Calvin Klein, Gucci, Armani, whatever. Like I wore all this stuff. And then I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what, what is like, how is this helping me? This is mm-hmm. trying to fuel some, the perception which I think society wants to have of me. And that's yeah. not the perception I have myself. So essentially I put it down to, I think I had like eight pieces of like, so like four t-shirts, whatever, blah, 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 four like long sleeves, about 10 pieces of upper body clothing, about 10 pieces of lower body clothing, which is essentially a hundred outfits if you think of it that way. But yeah. although I, I, I look a bit weird put, putting my shirts with my tracksuit shorts, mm-hmm. but um, essentially that's what it was for me. It was also getting rid of apps on the phones, simple things like the practical things I think are a good place to start. And then it's sort of stripping back at your day and thinking, yeah. what do I do that I don't need? Yeah. But uh, it's just like, it's just like you talked about, like if you think if, if you're, you're probably doing self-reflection and you're like, why do I have all these clothes? Like, why do I have all these things? Okay. Probably a big part of it is perception of other people. I want to be perceived as being good looking, you know, having nice clothes, whatever. And then dovetailing off that too. It's like you, you get that self-awareness and, and you start to realize people don't really even notice. Like people yeah. probably don't notice that you have three different Gucci shirts and you wore this one last Wednesday and then you wore it again on Friday or whatever. Like your brain tells you that that's important. But at the end of the day, maybe not one other person even realized that. And so once you start to realize that stuff kind of just starts to melt away, I think. Yeah. And that's why I focus on on my insignificance. I really focus in on my insignificance because it means I don't take myself too seriously. I'm malleable, not malleable in the way that you can easily influence me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not stupid. But, but you're open to ideas. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And I'm again, like, I also think if you're, if you judge somebody by what they wear, you're really not judging that person. It's the same uh-huh. thing now. I've changed my, uh, my sort of mindset on 
physical appearance. If your body is the most interesting thing about you, I think you need to look yourself in the mirror. Is the way I yeah. look at it now. Oh yeah. For the longest time, I was so obsessed with my physique, and you know, for me, just staying in shape year round, you know, getting my diet like on track, seeing my numbers go up constantly in the gym, seeing everything go um, like really, really detailed, everything go incrementally upwards. But then I thought and said, okay. I'm focusing way too much on this. I should focus some more time on what's most important. It's my, my saw. It's strapping my saw. It's my head. So for the past month while I was traveling in Europe, I did not go to a gym once. And for me, that was difficult because I there's obviously some anxiety around not going to train. Like mm-hmm. if you train regularly, like any, yeah. anybody listening to this who trains regularly will know if you train regularly and you don't go to the gym for a week, even two weeks, you're getting anxious. Yeah. You do that for a month. You don't even track your food. Like you don't not even track your food because I don't really track. I'm quite an intuitive eater but just eat anything you want. Just go off the rails per se for a month. But at the same time, you're focusing in your head. You're focusing on how do I relieve that anxiety, putting yourself in that worst case scenario. For me, that was my worst case scenario. I came out of it. I feel like I'm a better person. I feel like now when I actually do go back into things, I'll have a better perspective and I'll be much more, I guess, I won't say healthy, but educated in my approach is what I put it. And it goes back to self-awareness and like self reflections. Like, well, why do I feel this anxious? Why is something that is so, you know, based on just the context of society and the world and like talking about the gym and food and diet, like why is something that's so out of my control have such a big power over me? Yeah, I'm sure that you kind of did some reflection on that aspect too. And that's probably why you, you felt like you came out of it better. Yeah, exactly. And obviously I know there's, there's so there's a massive list of health benefits to aerobic and anaerobic training and eating right. But at the same time, as humans, we, we aren't designed to lift heavy weights. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're like, look, we, we moved to bipedalism for long distance running. Or even at that, we're, we're not really designed to be exercising all the time. Low intensity stuff, yeah, and then short bursts of getting away from predators, some in, in group or infield hunting, stuff like that is what we're designed for. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, I don't need to do this resistance training. So that for me, that anxiety kind of went away. Don't get wrong. I'm, I'm self-aware enough to realize that I'm going to go straight back into it as soon as I get yeah. the opportunity because I enjoy doing it and it's an intrinsic motivation. It's not extrinsic. It used to be extrinsic. It used to be, oh, I'm doing it for them. Now I'm just doing it because I purely mm-hmm. enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't even really care about the outcome. I just enjoy lifting weights. So that was my sort of reasoning to dampen my anxiety. It was, I don't need to do this. And Danny, at the end of the day, you know yourself, you know the physiology. If it took you five years to build this physique, you're not going to lose it in a month. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I love that you also touched on practicality and consistency there because those are two things that really helped shape me and change me is like, I I would say that over the past six months to a year, I've gone through the most changes in my life and it's really come from just like not, I guess, sort of turning away from perfectionism. Like, you know, I started reading a lot more. I started getting a lot more in a self-improvement. Uh, the big catalyst for that was just my change and how I worked out. I went from like everything had to be perfect. Like I had to have my pre-workout meal. I had to have this, this, and this. I had to do these exercises to like do something, like do yeah. something almost every day of the week if you can, just as much as you can. And then that kind of translated to like, you know, like I, like I talked about reading books. I didn't, I always knew that I wanted to read more, but it was like, okay, I have to have the perfect book. I have to take notes. I have to highlight blah, blah, blah. And it just went from that to like, okay, read a few pages. It's like things like that, just doing the small things. I think people would be amazed how big of a change that makes overall because then you see improvements, like like we talked about earlier, how fitness mirrors self-improvement. You see improvements in your body. You start reading, you see improvements in your mind and your mindset. And you go, oh, okay, now I want to try this. I want to try this. Like I've, I've started doing a public speaking group, not something I ever really thought I would be able to do, but it's just like those small changes really add up. I remember one of the really cool turning points was um, – I don't know if you've ever heard of Brett McKay's podcast, The Art of Manliness, but that's one of my favorites. And he had a guest on one time and I don't remember exactly what his premise was, but he had some sort of website or brand or business. And it was based on like the 1% improvement sort of thing. And I think it's, it might've been called like two pages a day because the basis of the story is like, he talks about how he's a big writer and uh, reads a ton of books now, but it started out by, he said he'd read two pages every day. And it's crazy how those small changes over time can just result in so much of a, of a difference. That's exactly my outlook as well. I started with reading two pages a day. And now for me, like it swings and roundabouts, but now for me, I read anywhere 
from a book or two books every week, roughly 300 pages. So whatever that works out to be. Uh, for me, I couldn't read. I had to reading. I think that's a perfect way to look at it. Even from a neuroscientific standpoint, we microdose to achieve habit formation, mm-hmm. to achieve that neuroplasticity. We need to microdose. We can't just go in and show ourselves in deep end. We don't, it's like that stimulus recovery adaptation curve. Mm-hmm. If we give ourselves too much stimulus, we won't be able to recover on that adaptation. We, what we're looking for, we won't get so i think also it's like simple physics it's like a body that has motion is harder to stop than a body that is at rest it's simple momentum you know it's newton's law a body continuing at a certain velocity will continue doing so until um yep. affected by a outside outside object i'm going back to my physics there uh-huh. <laughs> but like it's that thing it's like a body momentum is harder to stop so what do you do you just take the first step you know, and it's a compounding effect it's the same thing if you leave money in the bank you get compounding interest yep. it keeps going up so all I'd say is start. I think for the for the biggest issue for most people is seeing the starting point and seeing where they are and seeing a massive disconnect. What is the one step you can take right now, right at this second, mm-hmm. to get you in some way going in the direction of your goals? Yes. Some way. So for some people, it could legitimately be reading one page. Read mm-hmm. one line. Read one line. I say that to people sometimes. And it's like, people like oh, that's so goofy. Like, it almost seems silly and the fact that it seems silly stops people it's like i'm not going to read one page because that's not going to make a difference it's like that's part of the problem right there you know what i mean in in of itself yeah and if you read if you set out with the task of reading one page guess what let's gonna read more than one page yeah it's also you're gonna read more more than one page who actually reads mm-hmm. one page you mm-hmm. just say that it's like i think i read atomic habits by james yep. clear and he talks about the two minute rule give give something two minutes what's two minutes as a percentage of your day, I don't even want to work that out, but it's a lot less than it's a lot less than a tenth of a percent. Mm-hmm. Give two minutes to something, attack it for two minutes. If you don't want to do it after, fine. But what you'll find is if you even leave your house to run for two minutes, let's say I'll run two for two minutes, you're not gonna stop after two minutes. Yeah, you're like, okay, like the practical, good now. Yeah. yeah, the practical implementation of that is you're not gonna run like you're not gonna stop running after mm-hmm. two minutes. And even if you do stop, hey, you didn't run two minutes yesterday. You know? Mm-hmm. Just apply two minutes every single day genuinely if you run for two minutes let's say it's a fast pace every single day and you've never ran before you'll see improvements in your aerobic fitness yeah you know? for sure people I think, think that, you take that big step mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think that it's cool how it also works for breaking negative habits too in my experience like i know one of the biggest problems that was holding me back is like being really really uh into social media like checking notifications like almost feeling like I obsessively had to catch up on all my feeds at all times. And so I remember, you know, it's obviously a big problem that people will talk a lot about. And especially it's nice because the more you delve into self-improvement and people that like behavioral psychology, like you talked about, Tim Ferriss was a big one that you talked about earlier, but they talk about like deleting your apps, deleting your notifications. And to me at first it was like, Oh my God, like I can't do that. Like what if I miss something? And then the more you self-reflect and kind of give that some perspective, it's like, why do I give a shit who's, you know, some friend that I don't know that it's their birthday or like who liked this or who's posting this. It was like, I I started making small changes in my, um, in my psychology. And then it finally led to like, yeah, like I could delete my apps. Like I could stop my notifications and stuff like that. But it starts with just the small realizations. And I think that one really good way to do that if, if I had to give like some sort of practical advice per se is just like put, put yourself in an environment where you're hearing, even if you're not even putting it in action, like listening to those podcasts of people that you admire and that are successful, like listen to what they have to say, even if you're not acting on it right away, it's kind of, it's making small changes in your brain as to how, how your outlet look is, I think. Dude, every, like, we don't realize that every single bit of information that we input into our brain, even if it's subconscious, has an effect mm-hmm. on our conscious output. Every single thing. Our brain, our brain is a machine that records everything. Our, bra- our brain is diligent. Our brain is very diligent. It will record everything. All those things you see when you're scrolling in your newsfeed, think of it that way. It's like the simple thing of garbage in, garbage out, eh? So, like, look at it that way. Look at, the th- like, look at what you're feeding your brain. Think of your brain as your body. What are you feeding your body? What are you feeding your brain? What's the information? Your brain's food mm-hmm. is information. What is the information you're feeding your brain? If it's not top quality, well, guess what comes out? Not top quality. Now, that's yeah. obviously there's cognitive biases there. It's like, well, how do we know for a fact what's good quality information? Mm-hmm. Think of it this way. Is it getting you to stop and think and question things or is it just getting you to 
shit on things, just look at things and yeah. just complain, gossip, all that stuff. You know, that's yeah. a simple way of doing it. Uh, and it's crazy how addictive that stuff is because it's like, so, so I have friends that I get, I think like some of my close friends kind of realize that I've cut back a lot on social media and things like that. And I think that I hear them, even if it's not directly, I hear them kind of express that they'd like to spend less time on social media, but that stuff is so addicting. Even if like, you know, for example, like you're scrolling your Facebook feed and you're like, this is trash. This is trash. This is shit. Like, I don't know why I'm looking at this, but it makes you so addicted and like going back to it. Yeah. That's just the craziest thing to me. One of the things I do is I try and go for a walk once a week and just leave my phone at home. Mm-hmm. I try and go and walk in nature once a week, just leave my phone there. I don't need it. I like I like because But you me, feel like you need it and that's exactly. what's so weird. Yeah, it's so true. Like from a practical standpoint, I do need it, but I don't I shouldn't need it unless I need it, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. I shouldn't need it in the times where I don't need, actually need it. If I don't have a call, if I don't have someone to message, if I don't have something to respond to, I shouldn't need my phone. But here's the thing, I feel like I do. I feel like I constantly need it. So for me, my way of going around that is just getting outside, going for a walk for an hour or two hours. And don't get wrong, if you're used to having your phone in your pocket, man, you know, we all know the anxiety when your phone's yeah. in your pocket and yeah. then for a second you can't find it, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, do that. Go for an hour or two just outside. On a, I, love, I love a beach, a little barefoot walk on the beach. I'm simple like that. Uh, without a phone. And things, just, just realize things will be okay. You'll come back and you'll be like, whoa, I didn't die. You know, because we have that we have that sort of same psychological stress response to not having our phone on us. We're like, ah, we have this fear. I think a lot of people have this FOMO, fear of missing out. There is nothing that will happen in two hours to you. I guarantee you. Like, trust me, that's going to make that much of an impact on your life. That you can't. That a phone's going to tell you. You know what I mean? Like, like let's go worst case scenario because I love doing this. Let's say somebody dies. Genuinely, let's go worst case scenario. Literally, literally worst case scenario. Let's say somebody you know dies. It's like. Those knowing that information two hours later, let's face it, it won't make a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not to say it's still not bad news. Of course it is, but I'm just saying put yourself in the worst case scenario and having the phone wouldn't really change it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that I try to do the most is you talk about the phone being in your pocket, and I wonder what you think about this. I haven't heard a ton. Like this is kind of more of an individual idea of mine, but I feel like the 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 phone being in contact with your body is a huge stressor and a huge like it makes my use go up so exponentially. And so if I can, like if I know I'm going to be in a place for a while, like if I'm going to be doing work at home, being at work, being out, whatever, I try to place my phone away from my body. So I feel like that makes a big difference to me. Just having it in contact is your brain is more readily like, Oh, let's check it. Like what's going on with my phone. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? No, I agree. So if I'm at home and I have my routine, which is normally like depends on time. I, I my first 90 minutes of my morning are my, you know, my focused work, mm-hmm. I will charge my phone upstairs in my room and go down mm-hmm. to my office. I'll be away from that phone because it is the killer of productivity. Yeah. Although like my phone is essentially my business, like just get it away from me because mm-hmm. you know, like you don't have Snapchat on your laptop. You might just go on Snapchat a few seconds, yeah. whatever apps you have, because an application is so it, the way it's programmed is so fascinating yeah. because it's so easy to access it. I have to do work to go onto youtube.com on my laptop. Mm-hmm. I have to do work to go on facebook.com. Even if it's type one letter and the URL is already there from memory, I still have to do something where it's just yeah. tapping your finger. It's so simple. The access yeah. to it is instant. And I love like they're, they're, they are prying on us like that. They're prying on our neurochemical pathways to get us, to get us into those apps. Um, but it just depends you can acknowledge that and then say, okay, I'm not going to fall for the trap or you fall for the trap. But as I, as you said, it's so difficult yeah. once you're in that trap to get out of it. And some of the smartest people in the world are the people that work for Facebook and Google and Snapchat and Instagram. And they're, they're literally, their job is to make those oh. things as addicting as possible. And they're good at it. They're damn good at it. And that's why they're so addicting. Mm. They're clearly good at it. It's like, I don't know, uh, YouTube was the one for me. I'd spend six hours a day on YouTube. A lot of it could have been podcasts, but still six hours a day. I don't need that. You I think I mean? the, the interesting thing that I've heard before, like somewhat recently, was like Instagram purposely, like, you know how you probably remember at a certain point, like every single like would pop up and that those likes are addicting. But where I'm going with this is like now Instagram has found that it's more effective if like they save up like five likes and it'll be like this person, this person, and these three person like your picture. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'm on your screen and they're like, oh, like who are the other people? Like I should go see who those people are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just even tiny things like that make the biggest difference. Yeah, and one of the things was they changed away from as well, which must have an impact in that they regard. Changed. What was that? One of these things I'm gonna. It's um, before um, 
you'd have the names up until 10 likes and then you'd have uh, the numbers. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know what numbers. you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I think people care more about numbers than who like their posts. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Uh, so Instagram caught on to that. So mm-hmm. they're like, okay, numbers are more important. Like absolute metrics are more important. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to hold in on that. It's funny how the, these apps do all these things. Yeah. Yeah. I know that uh, something else that jumped to mind is when you talk about just kind of going for a walk and releasing uh, another thing that's kind of helped me shift my mindset a lot is doing some counseling. And I remember one time my counselor asking like, so we were kind of talking about the angst of like that phones and social media gives people and myself well, that I definitely struggled with, but he was like, do you realize that you can just walk into a library without your phone and just pick up a book and read for a while? And it was so, so simple. And it was like, holy shit, that sounds like, that sounds like difficult to me. Like literally, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Difficult. but it's like something so simple as that walk into a library, pick up a book and read for a while. It's just things like that. It's like in, in the age that we're in, it's almost a luxury to do something like that or not even that it's a luxury, like people can do it, but it takes a really determined effort to actually make yourself go and do something like that, which is just what's crazy. Hmm, because it's, it's unknown to us. It's not a habit for us. Like our habit is to have this phone within reach. It's mm-hmm. constantly there. It's constantly, it's like always within hand's reach. And if it's not, it's like, ah, anxiety, anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing you touched on there, which I actually love is you talked about counseling. And this is something I talked about in one of my previous podcasts or one of the guests I was talking about, Kieran. It was that I genuinely think there's a stigma around that. And I don't know oh, why. Yeah. And, and the one thing I look at is I would love, and I haven't done it yet, to sit down with some form of psychoanalyst or psychiatrist and get them to essentially, it is their job to pick me apart, to answer me the questions about myself that I wouldn't ask myself. That's mm-hmm. fascinating. If I want to get to know myself on a better level, why not go to the person whose job it is to, to actually do that? And people think, oh, you know, you have, you have problems, man. Like you're only going there because you have problems. I'm like, yeah. oh man, like you're, you're really, you're, your perspective is not right there. Like you're really looking at it from the wrong, the wrong way there. I'm sure that's helped you tremendously, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's almost exactly what I wrote my blog post about this week. It was called Four Lessons I Learned in Counseling or something along those lines. And I, one of the first paragraphs I said, it's funny how the perception might be that, you know, you have a friend and they're experiencing digestive issues. They're experiencing knee pain. Yeah. They go and see a doctor and you're like, oh, you don't think twice about that. But if exactly. you have a friend who's experiencing emotional unrest, who's not feeling like themselves mentally and they go and see a counselor, like you're going to think different about that friend, but it's, it's, it's such a similar thing. It's different in a, in small ways, but it's, you know, you're having pain in your body. Uh, you're having pain in your mind. There's different doctors for those different things. Yeah. It's like, that's their job. And it's not like, I don't know why it's stigmatized because do you say nobody in their life has ever had some form of mental anguish or mental stress or psychological stress is just ridiculous it's mm-hmm. absolutely ridiculous it's like it's almost like i it's like that mentality of like haha like look at you where i'm the one actually dealing with something i'm just trying to externalize my pain onto you mm-hmm. it's like no like, i think everyone could do with some form of critical thinking i think the best place yes. for that for someone who has no experience with it is going to someone like a counselor like mm-hmm. a psychiatrist like a psychoanalyst someone like that who will or psychologist will generally pull that out from you you yeah i think that's where most of the criticism and negativity comes in the world is just being insecure because if you feel insecure about some things that you're feeling i remember we'll go back to tim ferris again he says that uh you can you get the same effect by improving yourself or by tearing someone else down but tearing someone else down is just way easier you know if i go and i make an effort to read books and you know do whatever i need to do exercise and things to improve myself i could get that exact same feeling from like telling my friend that oh you're fat or like you're stupid or whatever so what's wrong with them it's the same feeling and that's what's so difficult is like you have to realize which one is going to benefit you way 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 exponentially more into the future there's obviously working on yourself the the way i look at it is we're both on parallel ladders and we're on the same rung it's much easier for me to just push you down one than for me to step up Mm-hmm. You know, ultimately I want to be ahead of you. Well, how do I get ahead of you? It's either put you beneath me or me climb above you. Mm-hmm. And people don't understand that it's more beneficial. The thing is, if some, if you see somebody go up, you're going to also want to go up. So it brings society up as a whole. I think people don't empower people enough. And that's my whole job is to, or what I want to do is to step in and empower people and say, Hey, you know, let's not, let's be positive towards each other. Let's like mm-hmm. in the, in the cringiest sense, spread love, spread positivity, spread optimism, mm-hmm. because that stuff is contagious. And so is pessimism. The opposite is contagious. So which would you rather want? The world full of pos- um, pessimism or optimism? And I always, always will choose optimism every single day. Yeah. And so I think that we're going to start concluding pretty soon. But something I wanted to touch on that we've kind of danced around quite a bit is 
just wanted to ask you and then kind of further discuss what type of stuff are you reading right now? What type of books have really impacted you? And then in addition, we've brought up Tim Ferriss a number of times. He's one of my favorite um, guys. What sort of self-improvement or just any sort of personalities uh, are you into? Uh, maybe that have podcasts or otherwise. Cool. So at the moment, I'm just going through the time paradox. There's a few other books that I've read. I'm actually at home at the moment. I'm actually going out today to get some more books. I love buying book shopping. That's like, that's something I love doing. Well, yeah. I'm sure you're the same. Um, so for me, Timothy Ferris was probably one of the first people who started me off on self-improvement. Um, but for, I think the first book was how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. Oh, yeah. It's actually I'm a friend, like here it is here. Um, mm-hmm. great book, great book would recommend it to anybody. I think I want to be doing a summary on it on my Instagram account actually tomorrow. Cause it looks like the polls winning that way. I just think start, start somewhere like genuinely just look up to somebody who's in a place that you might want to be mm-hmm. and just start there. I, th- I think there's no wrong way to go about reading. I think you can read, like, I think the more you read and the more information you gather, the more you realize and look back and say okay maybe that book wasn't great and the information in that mm-hmm. book was good mm-hmm. and then from there the books you choose will be of a higher quality so for instance you could start off reading like uh, if you want to learn more about diet i wouldn't recommend going in and reading like a best-selling diet book because most times it's gonna be awful but mm-hmm. let's say you read one it's like it's like it's a low-carb keto this is the only way for the the keto solution or something right yeah so you can just read that book and then you can learn from that and then the one thing is you got to keep on reading and then over time you realize, okay, maybe that book was a bit sort of out there. Maybe it wasn't of high quality and then you get a better perspective. But in terms of self-improvement, I'd read Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Oh yeah. Fantastic book telling you, teaching you how to take ownership and personal responsibility over everything, everything, absolutely everything. And it doesn't mean it's practical, but I'd rather people have that mindset than the mindset of everything is other people's fault. If it's your fault, you can take control over it. It's somebody else's fault. You can't take control over it. Like even, even if someone, like even if you're in a car crash, it's better to put yourself in the situation that it's your fault because then you'll know next time I'll go about it to mitigate the risk of that happening again. Mm-hmm. Even if that sounds wacky to people, give that book a read and just go into it with an open mind. Jocko is one of the best philosophers of our, of our time. As I put it, he's, he's fantastic. How to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. Another good book. Uh, Jimmy Ferris, yeah, for me, he, that man got me thinking. I don't agree with a lot of things he says, but he got me thinking. So The 4-Hour Workweek and The 4-Hour Chef are two really good books by Tim. But Tim's kind of going with, with approach. I'm approaching things the same way he did in regards, yeah. I think, you know, Tribe of Mentors, where essentially he went to people who are in these positions of power to learn from them. And it's smart. It's like learning a shortcut. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Things aren't it's like, that it's, like, it's like what you say to do, but just on a bigger scale. Like yeah, try to emulate the people that you look up to. It's very helpful. Like it, 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 like the most difficult step I think for people is zero to one, one mm. to a hundred is easy. One mm. to a hundred is very easy. Like you'll everything, the fear, the anxiety, everything comes from step zero to one. I've had some friends recently start some Instagram accounts that they really wanted to start and it's attacking their fear behind it. If you just start, everything else is so easy. Mm-hmm. Everything else, like starting is the hardest part. It's so, so, like so difficult. I remember when I started um, physio I was like, ah, the judgment, the fear. I don't want to oh, do this. I don't want to put myself terrible. out there. It's terrible for at the at the start, but it gets so much better. And then once you're out there, you're like, ah, oh, this isn't too bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when you're in a swimming pool and it's like it's a warm day. You know, the water's gonna be okay. But that first jump into the water, oh, it's gonna be freezing for a few seconds. You're gonna be like, shit, shit, why did I do this? But then it warms up, and you're like, this isn't pretty. This isn't too bad. You know, mm-hmm. that's why I look at any endeavor in life. Me, public speaking, I hate it. I, like, I still genuinely makes me feel anxious to this day. But you get in there, you're like, oh, it's not this bad. I'm just having a chat with somebody, you know. There may be people listening. There may not be people listening, as we touched on earlier. Some people don't even care. You yeah. Know? One of my favorite mantras, I can't, I can never remember if I heard this somewhere or if I, like, kind of formulated this just from, like, other things I've heard. So I'm thinking about just kind of taking full ownership of it. But anyways, like, I just like yeah. to say that momentum creates momentum. And so if you're talking about fitness, health, relationships like whatever putting putting effort into improving something like say it's we'll go back to the example reading we talked a lot about that like i think that so you start reading 20 pages a day in addition to still trying to keep up with your health still trying to keep up with your family having a job i think that the mindset of some people might say oh that's going to take away from other things like i'm not going to be as effective in this but it's like no the, the the more momentum you create the more momentum you put in other areas of your life so reading 20 pages is going to make you a better employee it's going to make you a better brother sister dad mom son daughter whatever and so i just think that that's the coolest thing about it and then the other thing that i that i wanted to say that jumped to mind was just when you talk about books and picking out books i think that 
it's a, that's a big place to trust your instincts and just like what books interest yeah. you, they interest you for a reason. And the more interested you are in it, the more you're going to be um, motivated to read it, you know? And like, if someone says that, I, I know one of the first books I read was the seven habits of highly effective people. And that's one of the most popular books ever. And it has a lot of good information, but if it doesn't interest you, even though very, you know, successful and intelligent people tell you that it's a very good book to read, well, then just put it down and don't read it. Like read what draws yeah. you because that's what's going to help you grow the most. No, it's so true. It's so true. Uh, like you don't have to read all these books. Like I can recommend books. Don't read them. Like my perspective of a book is going to be different than yours. Like that's mm-hmm. just a fact. You might take something from that book that I didn't. You might disagree with something. You might agree with something that I didn't. It's all about perspective. Just the one thing I would say again, like any endeavor, just start. If you want to get, if you want to read, like make sure you actually want to. Maybe society is telling mm-hmm. you that you have to read or that you should read. Hey, for me, I was never a reader. I, I just forced myself to read. I'm not saying you should do that um, because I knew the benefits outweighed the drawbacks of doing it. But if you don't, look, get Blinkist. It's like seven books a month. It gives you book summaries in 10, 15 minutes. Yes. Summarizing the audiobooks. I've compared the Blinkist summaries to me reading it and my transcription of the summary of the book. They're pretty spot on. They don't leave mm-hmm. out too much or Audible, whatever you're into. Just find some way to take in some more information. Just yes. the more information you have, I guess the easier it is to make decisions, the easier it is to question things because you have more information. So just don't be afraid to take more information and question things is what I'd say. Like when you talk about different views on books, something that kind of makes me roll my eyes is those books that are like, I know there's a popular one out right now. It's like, you are a badass. Like you can do it. Like you are great stuff like that. That stuff kind of makes me roll my eyes, but like, that's just me personally. I'm kind of, I'm really grounded in like my internal bodies and stuff like that. And so I think that's why, but if you're like a big extrovert and you know, Say, for example, like you're a salesperson or something like that. Maybe that gets you fired up. Maybe that helps you improve. It's like, it, just, because okay, it, yeah. just because it seems cheesy to me doesn't mean it can't be helpful to someone else. No, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Like there, you might see, you might be like, I do not, like that does not work for me. That doesn't push my yeah. buttons, but that might be exactly what somebody else needs. That mm-hmm. might be exactly the thing that someone needs to get them going. So I don't judge. I think if someone's intention, now it can be hard to define intention or wrap your head around that. But if somebody's intention is to help somebody, I'm not going to say, you know, you, you're going about the wrong way. You know, I think if their intention's there, um, it does actually help some people go for it. You know, life's too short to stop people helping somebody because that message, it's again, the 99.99% of people, that could be us. We don't care. But there's that one person who is going to, that's going to change their life. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I focus on, the optimism there. Mm-hmm. All right, Danny. Well, it's been super interesting. I hope that we can do this again sometime. Uh, I'll give you a chance yeah, to... Maybe you want to say a final thought. Maybe you want to say where people can reach out if they have any questions or want to follow you on social or anything like that. So whatever you got. Sure, sure. So for me, I'm all through Instagram, which is something I need to <laughs> need to branch out a little bit. But you can find me over at Top Gym Tips. I don't really post anything of myself there, but it's at Top Gym Tips. That's my kind of biggest page. So we have Physiotrician, which is my page, which is going through nutrition, health, fitness, all that stuff. And then you have my personal account, which I just started a few weeks ago, which is at Daniel Tofno, which is Daniel Whitney at the end. You'll, you'll find it. You'll find it. <laughs> um, and essentially, that's sort of me. That's my page. That's me. Like a, it's, it's everything there is about me. It's talking about mindset, talking about money, talking about business, talking about psychology, talking about health, fitness, everything there is about me. That's my page. So if you want to hit me up over there, uh, also, you know, a podcast, The Growth Approach, you find that on Spotify. Um, and yeah, I just want to say a massive thanks to Jake for having me on. It's an interesting conversation. I, I like these dialogues. I think people can learn from them. Not that, again, I don't think like there's anything magical that we're saying. Not that, you know, I think what we're saying is very good, by the way, but it's like, it's not like the words. It's more so the fact that we, we're not afraid to have dialogue where we question our beliefs, mm-hmm. where we talk about our feelings. Uh, and where we want to help other people to do that. So I think that's always a good conversation to have. And I just want to say a massive thank you for having me on. This has been the What's Your Story podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, uh, share with family and friends, and leave me a review. I really appreciate any and all feedback. Thanks.